Welcome once again, everybody. In case you missed it, we are talking about and celebrating the power of God. Welcome and happy Easter to all of you. My name is Alan, and we are thrilled that you're here. Hello in uh, the overflow. My understanding is that there's overflow for the overflow here for this service. So uh, welcome. I hope you guys have a fantastic experience as well. Uh, now, then I want to ask you to be honest here as I get started. How many of you, for a moment got nervous during the Frequent Tithers Club uh, video. <laughs> just, got, just got nervous for a moment. You just, for a nanosecond, you thought, uh-oh. Uh, you knew Mountain Park would go over the edge at some point, and you thought, here it is. It's happening today. So anyway, um, uh, happy April Fools, and I'm glad we know we got at least, uh, at least one of you. But um, this is a unique thing for Easter to land on April Fool's Day. The last time this happened, was 1956, 1956. Now, I don't, no offense to any of you who were born in that year or before, but that was a long time ago. <laughs> that was a long time ago. And so this was, and again, no offense, it's just, it's just life, right? And so uh, uh, this is a unique day. It's a unique and special day. And so we thought of a number of different ways that we might combine the Easter and April Fool's thing. We landed on that video. One uh, rejected idea was to do a, an Easter egg hunt with no hidden Easter eggs. <laughs> we thought that'd be fun for kids to walk around going, I can't find any. That would be, that would be, it would be fun. It would be easy to organize. Um, it would be a little difficult to explain is all you, all you lose out of that uh, deal. But there really is a connection between the April Fool's story and the Easter story. I mean, here we have on Sunday morning that the women went to the uh, tomb on Sunday morning, they brought the spices and they were planning to, to uh, uh, take care of the body in the way that they traditionally would. And the stone is rolled away and the angel was there going, surprise, he's not here, he's risen. So there is kind of an April Fool's, you know, experience out of, out of there. But even, even the, the story itself is, is foolish to some. I mean, there is a connection between April Fool's Day and Easter because, because it is very natural to think that this story must be a joke. I mean, I, you expect me to believe this really happened? This is a historical event in human history? I mean, it's easy to understand that Jesus was a real person, that he was from Nazareth, that he was a great teacher, he was a rabbi, and he loved people in in new and profound ways. It's even very manageable to believe that he died on a cross. Maybe even died as an innocent person, that he hadn't, they were threatened by him, but he really hadn't done anything illegal. And so that's all manageably uh, believable. But once you get to the resurrection part, the part that we celebrate here Sunday morning, really? Really? Does, does, did that really happen? And so, and so that's, that's where this April Fool's Day and Easter kind of come together. So for you today, is this April Fool's Day or is this Resurrection Sunday? Now, I know on the calendar it's both, but for you and your beliefs and your, your heart, your true beliefs, is this a day for the foolish or is this a day like no other day? Is this a day that changed everything for humanity? Is this a day that we celebrate that marks the turning point 
for the entire story of human existence. Which, which one is it for you? Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you that we get together here in this space, God, that we set aside this time. We gather and we come from different backgrounds and we come from different, different uh, beliefs, perhaps, and just different thoughts about this incredible story of the resurrection of your son, Jesus. And so here in this place, God, we want to hear from you. God, would you show your power here in this room, here in this building? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, again, this issue of April Fool's Day versus Resurrection Sunday, this issue of foolishness versus profoundly powerful, this is not new. This isn't just something that, that has been happening here in this century. Go back 2,000 years, and the Apostle Paul, who was the writer of most of our New Testament, he wrestled with this with some of the churches he was leading. So Paul... He was the leader of, of multiple churches because he had traveled around and started churches in the Mediterranean area. And one of the cities that he went to was Corinth in modern-day Greece. And when he was there, uh, he learned more about their culture, and then later on he wrote a letter to them. I want to read a verse from that letter in what we call 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says in verse 18, the message of the cross, which is what we're talking about this morning on Easter, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So here we have Paul saying, for some it's foolishness, for others it's the power of God. Which one are you, people of Corinth? Which one are you, people of Phoenix? Now, it's, it's helpful, I think, to understand uh, who the people of Corinth were. Corinth was a prime, was a, a chief city in the Greek Empire. It, at this time, was occupied by Rome, but it still had significant Greek influence. It was just a few hundred years prior to this that the Greek philosophers were, were hugely significant um, uh, in that part of the world. That's where we had Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, among others, who had significantly impacted the thinking of this region. So the people of Corinth, they were very educated. They were very intelligent. So when, when Paul and these Christians came by and told them about a, a crucified Savior, that story was just foolish. I mean, it was just, it was foolishness for them. How, how were we supposed to trust someone whose story is that he died a criminal on a cross. How are we supposed to surrender our lives to that story? How are we supposed to, to believe in the saving power of this one man who couldn't save himself from the cross? For them, this Christian philosophy, this new Christian philosophy that they were learning about, it just didn't make sense. It was, it was difficult. It was foolish to them. It was, it, it, this is supposed to be the center point of human history. This is the, the turning point of human existence. This is the meaning of life. Is about a poor carpenter from Nazareth. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. It's a poor carpenter from Nazareth who has this story. And then the passing on of his teachings is not through the elite of society. 
It's not through any philosophers or politicians or doctors or even rabbis for those in the Jewish faith. It didn't go through any of the elite people of the culture. It went through 12 young, uneducated nobodies, these disciples, one of whom didn't even, didn't even follow the rabbi at the end of the story. And so how, how are they supposed to believe this? This is ridiculous. It's foolish. And Paul, in essence, when he writes to the, to the church in Corinth, he, sa- he basically validates this concern. He says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, to those who, who, aren't, who don't believe it, who haven't surrendered their lives to it. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So again, is this story foolishness or is it the power of God for you? Because we can look at one thing and it can either be foolish or it can be powerful. You and I can look at the same thing. Some can see it as foolish. Others can see it as powerful. In fact, I have something underneath this black sheet that some would view as foolish and others would view as powerful. Do you want to know what it is? Okay, I don't have to show it. I'll, just, I'll keep on going. Okay, okay, I'll okay, show what it is. Some are going to see this as foolish. Some are going to see this as powerful. Ta-da! It is an, oh, thank you. I got one power over here. It, there we got two, two, okay. It is an old air-cooled Volkswagen engine. Now, uh, 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 for this engine, if, it, last year, if you were with us, at the beginning of last year, we did a kind of an overall theme of something new, a lot of new things we were experiencing in 2017, not the least of which was this new building and moving into this place, and so we experienced new things as a church. And so I would say, hey, let's do something new. And I, I shared with you all that I wanted to, to rebuild a Volkswagen engine. I wanted to rebuild it from scratch. And so my buddy John and I, we tore this thing down to every bolt off of this thing, completely torn apart. And so we finally had this thing rebuilt, and it's going to go into my 1967 Volkswagen bus, which I'm really excited about. Now, we was going to go in a week and a half ago, but I said, hey, time out. We're going to talk about power at Easter. Why don't we just bring the engine on stage and pause installing it in the bus? So we debated the pros and cons of that, and so here we are today. Here, there's the engine right there. Pretty excited about that. Now, for some, this is foolish. Not just putting it on stage, but the old Volkswagen concept. Like, uh, for some, like um, my wife, for example. <laughs> she would be one for whom this is foolish because she, she believes that a vehicle is something you should go out to and you should trust that it's going to start whenever you go out. You're just, just going to start your car. You just trust that it's going to start. I, I know it's a crazy idea, but that's her, that's her belief. That's her, her system of how to do this. She thinks it's foolish to drive a vehicle where you pray a little bit before you start it and hope it's going to start. She thinks it's foolish for a six-foot-four man to, uh, to, to fold into an old Volkswagen that doesn't have move, movable seats. I mean, it is what it is. And then you kind of bend your legs in there and get yourself assembled uh, inside there. Thinks it's foolish to drive a vehicle in our society and the speed of all the vehicles and all that to drive an old bus that has very bad brakes. I mean, you, get, it just, you don't want to lean too heavily on the brakes. You've got to kind of give yourself a little extra space. She thinks it's foolish 
to uh, drive a vehicle that doesn't have airbags. It has very little safety. I mean, I'm eight inches away from uh, anything right in front of me at the front of this bus, and there's no protection. There's nothing to stop me, to save me in any way whatsoever. So he thinks it's foolish in the hottest city in the country to have no air conditioning and no hope of any air conditioning. You cannot attach air conditioning to this little engine. It's just not going to happen. So she thinks, I hope I'm making my case clear of how ridiculous her foolish position is. I mean, the, she thinks it's foolishness to have something like this. Now, I, on the other hand, don't think it's foolish. Now, it might not be fair to call it powerful because after all, it is a Volkswagen engine. And uh, so this is a 600cc engine uh, that's uh, it's souped up a little bit, about 1,900ccs, which is still smaller than uh, some motorcycle engines. And this is for an eight-passenger vehicle. At best, this thing is going to pump out about 60 horsepower. And uh, for those of you who drove your two-passenger Corvette here today, that has minimum 455 horsepower. And so this thing is for, it's not, you, you can't really call it powerful, but it is a sweet ride. I mean, it, it, is, a, it is something, there's something beautiful about it. You want to hear what it sounds like? Cause, okay, because I, I really could start it up. And so far, this is the fourth service, and uh, we're three for three. So, uh, so let me see. I'm going to turn this fan on because you're in direct line with the exhaust. And I care about you because it's Easter, and I want you to. So I'm going to turn the fan on so that it doesn't go toward you. And here's one of the bonuses of being in overflow. You don't get the exhaust right at you. So here, let's see if we can get this thing to go. If we can have a little power here on stage. There we go. There we go. That is sweet sounding. <laughs> See that right there, that smell? That's my life, that's my garage. That's my clothes. I mean, that's what happens when you drive an old Volkswagen. So, so uh, I love these old cars. And so as a result, I have created a proverb. It's a fuller proverb. It's an adjustment to Paul's words. And it goes like this. The purchase of an old VW is foolishness to those who are sensible. But to us who are fans, it is the power of German engineering. <laughs> there we go. Now, I'm... I plan on putting that as a sticker on the back of my car. <laughs> People will get close enough to read it. But, um, but uh, uh, it's the same thing, foolish to some, power to others, or wonderful to others. It is foolishness to some, it is powerful for others. Now, whether or not something is, is foolish or powerful... That, is, that, is, that depends on, that is connected to your perception of your need for that item. And so, so if there is a need, so for example, let's say I'm driving my 67 bus and uh, you and your Corvette pull up to me in your 455, 455 horsepower Corvette. You look at my little bus, and you're not going to need any of that horsepower. You've got plenty for yourself. You'll wave, you go, sucker, and you will take off, you'll be fine. But if you were hitchhiking across Arizona on a hot day and my 67 bus pulled up and said, peace, <laughs> and you would be happy to climb in and enjoy my 60 horsepower, would you not? 
that, that whether something is foolish or powerful, it is connected to your perception of your need for that. So what is your perceived need for the spiritual power that is offered from our Creator, that is demonstrated through the message of the cross? What, what is your perception of need for that power in your life? Do you wish you had more spiritual or emotional power in your life? Do you have moments where you, where you think that you are uh, trapped under the weight of anxiety, the burden of, of depression, or just feeling like life is, has moved into monotony for a period of weeks or months or years where it's just, it's just you're, you're okay, but it's just, it's just kind of going through the motions and you would love to pull out of that. How can you find the power and the strength to pull out of that monotony or that depression or that anxiety? Do you ever feel powerless in life? Is there ever a desire to have some kind of power to pull you into some place that you can't do on your own? For those who believe the message of the cross is foolishness, and again, as Paul said to the, uh, the Corinthians, it's, it's understandable to believe this story is, is, is hard, it's hard to believe. For those who, who believe it is foolishness, where does your power come from? I mean, if this story is not where power comes from, where does your strength come from? Does it come from yourself? Do you, have you found the ability to pull yourself out of the pit on your own as you've experienced dark seasons, dark times? Do you just wait it out? Where does power come from? So the message of the cross for me is, is, is that I am powerless on my own. I am powerless to be the father that I want to be to my kids. I am powerless to be the husband that I want to be to my wife. I've tried it over and over and over again based on my own power, and I've proven over and over again that I fail. What I want to do, I find myself not doing. What I don't want to do, those are the things I find myself continuing to do. That the power of selfishness, the power of, of desires and addictions and the ways that, that we are lured into so many other things, those things have so much power and control that unless I surrender these things to my creator on a regular basis, I can't do it. Now, some might say, well, that's foolish. Others would say, that's power. That's tapping into the power. Again, where do you land on this? If you don't know what I'm talking about in terms of that power, if it's available, if this story of Jesus is true, that the message of the cross is the power of God, wouldn't you want to have access to that? Wouldn't you want to have a piece of that, to have some kind of experience with that kind of power in your life? Wouldn't you want to, to taste and see what that would be like? I hope that you would. I know Paul wanted his, the readers of his letters to embrace that. That's why he wrote this. That's why he wrote verse 18. Later on in that chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, later on, jump down to verse 26. And Paul continues... Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. 
So he's talking to the Christians in Corinth, those who believe in the story of the resurrection. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Don't miss the slam here. (laughs) This is a slam of biblical proportions. I mean, Paul writes in the Bible that maybe you were wise by chimpanzee standards, but by human standards, you weren't all that special. And he goes on. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Paul wants to make it perfectly clear as he's talking about the power of God. He wants to make it very clear where this power does not come from. He just just want to make sure you people of Corinth know that the power does not come from Paul's brilliance. It does not come from Paul as your apostle, as your church leader coming through and giving you this wisdom. It doesn't come from Paul. It doesn't come from the disciples, these, 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 those of elite social class. They were just 12 uneducated nobodies. It didn't come from there. So Paul wants to make sure, let's make sure we know where this does not come from. I love Christian celebrities, you know, when they share their faith, actors and actresses and athletes who, who accomplish something and they give glory to God. And I love when they do that. And, you know, it scores a touchdown and they, you know, do one of these and, or they get interviewed afterwards and they are intentionally before the camera, they say, hey, I want to just want to thank God for the opportunity to do this, etc." I love when they do that. I think it's awesome that they would be willing to share their faith and use that fame and that opportunity to do that. But let's not confuse their power, their social power with the power that Paul's talking about here. That, that the power for them to be the man and the women and the woman that they want to be, it doesn't come from their celebrity status. They are not more powerful than you and I are. We sit here in this beautiful new, new building. Let's not think for a second that there's any power that comes out of this building or the fancy lights or anything like that. That the power of this place is God working through the lives of of men and women sitting around you. That that's, that's where we become a, a, a love machine here in this city and around the world. Let's not get confused with that and certainly don't get confused about me having any power. I, I, I don't stand here on Easter being able to share this because I've figured it out because I have it all together. And this is where some of you, I know you want, if we were an amen church, you'd be saying it right now. That, that would be one of those moments, amen, brother, amen. If you knew me, you would know that. That there's, that there's no unique power that, that, that I'm, I'm the guy, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm the kind of guy who, when I was a young man, before I was married, I, I went to Africa for some time and I met, actually met my wife in Africa. And I came back And I told people, hey, I met this woman in Africa. Her name is, which is not true because she's from Cincinnati. So, um, (laughs) but I met her in Africa and uh, she had gone her way and, and, uh, and I had planned on my way back from Africa. I had a little extra time. And so I planned a layover in Paris for a week 
because I wanted to see Paris, and I didn't have to be back at school for some time, and so I didn't realize until I landed at the airport in Paris that I had $50 on me and no plans, and I was in Paris for a week. I'm, I'm that guy. I'm that guy who did that, and I got a bag full of Africa stuff standing in the airport going, bonjour, Bonjour, ça va? Bonjour. And uh, I mean, I was judging. that's a whole other story. It involves some things that were illegal, but that's another story for me to get. I did stay for that week, but I'm that guy. I'm the guy who, about that same age, I had a checkbook that uh, would periodically have a line item. Remember checkbooks? <laughs> uh, that had a line item on it that said balance adjustment. And then it would have a dollar amount. Because at the end of a certain amount of time, it wasn't a month, it was whatever, a few months, I would think, you know what, there's something off here. So I would just write $63 and kind of clean that up. And then my wife, we got married and she looked at this and she said, honey, what's this balance adjustment thing? And I explained it to her and that's why she does our finances now. <laughs> it's a little gift to you. Uh, if you want to get out of doing finances, it's called balance adjustment. That's how you get, that's how you let everyone know that you shouldn't be touching that stuff. But I'm that guy. I'm the guy that when the, when the light is on in your car, the empty light, that what that means is you got 60 miles left. It doesn't, it doesn't mean go fill up. It means you got 60 miles. You're fine. You're fine. I'm that guy. I'm the guy who, and I've shared this before, barely graduated seminary. So seminary is graduate school for me to do the job that I do standing before all of you, and I barely passed. I mean, I squeaked by, and it was a small seminary, and uh, so I've seen some of the professors at that school since then. They don't even remember I was in their classes. They don't remember, or if they remember me, they just remember how reluctant they were to give me that passing grade. Just barely, I'm not sure what's going to happen with this guy. They were nervous about putting their stamp of approval on this. I'm that guy. I, I asked my wife uh, this week, I said, hey, I want to just kind of remind people, you know, it's not from our own power. So uh, can you think of some examples? And so she started emailing me story. After story, she was emailing me actually all day over and about every half hour. Alan, then there was a time that you did this, and then there was a time that you did this. Okay, honey, I got it. I got it. I got enough examples. She's still emailing me this morning a few more things in case I wanted to remember uh, more of this. But the point is maybe a little long, but the point I'm trying to make here is, is that Paul is saying in these verses here, let's not be confused with where this power comes from. In the Easter story, there's this profound moment where Pilate stands before Jesus and he is, he is confounded by this Jesus character. And he doesn't know what to do with him and he is caught between a rock and a hard place. He can't let him go and he, and he just finds no reason to, to crucify him and he stands before him and he says, Jesus, don't you understand? I have the power to set you free or to crucify you? Remember this moment in Scripture? And Jesus looks back at Pilate and says, you would have no power if it were not given to you from above. And so let's just be aware of where this power comes from. Paul says, for those of us who are saved, for those of us who believe in the resurrection story, the message of the cross is the power of God. And then Paul talks about what it's not. It's not the power of people and all that. So let's just, let's just finish up with clarity on what that power is. 
I mean, practically, literally. What, is, what does the power of God mean in our lives? We can use that phrase all we want, but how does it affect my life? How does it affect my relationships? This, this engine, it literally has the power, once it's installed in a vehicle and then you pray and you hope it starts, it literally has the power to take me from here to there, to take me from Phoenix to San Diego, to take me from Phoenix to New York, maybe. But it, it literally has the power to take me from A to B, spiritually, emotionally. Where does the power of God take you? What literally does that mean? We're actually going to walk that out over the next five weeks in this new series called Reclaim. There is an adversary in the story of Easter. There is an antagonist. There is an enemy in this story. An enemy who thought that he had victory on the Friday part of the story when Jesus was crucified. Thought that this Jesus of Nazareth was gone. And that's something, that was a victory for the enemy's side. And that enemy continues to take things from us. That enemy loves to use our selfishness and our 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 uh, tendency towards addictions and use those to destroy things. That enemy has taken marriages here in our community, here in our church. That enemy has taken some of the minds and the hearts of our kids. The enemy has, has warped this gift of sexuality that God has given us. And for some, the enemy has taken has taken self-confidence. It has taken hope for the future. It has taken our courage to try something new, to step out in faith. The message of the cross is that Jesus conquers the enemy. Jesus conquers death. He goes in and he reclaims death. He says, you don't even have power over this one. And saying to all of us, you can have eternal life when you surrender yourself to Jesus conquers death. And so what we're going to do in this series is we're going to say, we are going to reclaim what hell has stolen. We are going to take back what hell has stolen. Next week, we're going to get started by talking about joy, talking about the power of God reclaiming joy in our lives. Do you feel like there's there's just a shortage of joy for you right now? That maybe in this season of life, you just think, what? What do I have to complain about? Or why, is there, why am I not enjoying life the way I believe Scripture has set us up for, to have this feeling of contentment and joy? Could it be that the enemy has taken some of the joy out of this room, out of this community? Let's take back what hell has stolen. Next week, we'll talk about reclaiming joy. I'd love to have you join us for that. But again, the question is, Is this story foolishness or is it the power of God? Is it April Fool's Day or is it Resurrection Sunday? If you believe in in the resurrection of Jesus, if you would say, no, it, it is Resurrection Sunday, then how have you experienced that power in your life? How has that power affected your relationships, your decisions, the trajectory of your life? What a great conversation that would be over lunch. If you roll from this into a lunch experience with whomever you do that, uh, whoever you do that with, 
If you go and, and, you, and you say, here's how I've experienced the power of God in my life. What a great Easter celebration that would be. If you, perhaps on the other hand, you, you, you view this as more of an April Fool's Day, that it's, you're just not sure about the resurrection piece. You're not sure about the, the Jesus piece on that. If you know someone who says they're a follower of Christ, if you know someone who says they, they, they've experienced the, the power of God in their lives, if you've been brought by someone, if you're sitting next to someone right now, ask them how they've experienced the power of God. What, what a great lunch that would be. And you know what? They'll buy you lunch today. And you can tell them, the pastor said so. And so they will buy you lunch, take you up for lunch, and then you put them on the spot and you say, have you ever experienced the power of God in your life? Seriously. And then just kind of see how that, how that goes. And to those of you who did bring someone, you're welcome. You're welcome. Bring someone, take them out to lunch and just, just let's celebrate the power of God as we celebrate Easter and then invite that power over these, uh, in these weeks to come as we take back what hell has stolen. Here's how I want to wrap up here today. Uh, the band is going to come out and sing us one more, uh, sing, lead us in one more uh, song of celebration. And as we head into that, I'd love to pray with you. Would you stand up? We'll pray together and then sing one more song. Would you bow your heads with me? God, I thank you for your power. God, I thank you that even though the enemy thought there was a victory with the, with the crucifixion story, that your power came in on Sunday morning and said, no way. God, I thank you that, that the message of the cross is a symbol of your power, that you don't, you don't force us to love you, you don't demand that we serve you. You invite us. You inspire us to love you because of what you've done for us. So God, I pray that we would celebrate and experience your power as we celebrate your resurrection. God, that we would tap into that power in the weeks to come, we pray in Jesus' name.